From Centered, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where our purpose is to share testimonies that encourage you to deepen your roots of faith. Join host Karen Johnson to hear stories of those who have experienced God directing their own lives to a deeper, engaged faith. Well, hello, friends. Today, I have the joy of introducing you to a woman I know and love deeply and for whom I have the greatest respect. Kendra Vandermeulen is currently serving as the CEO of National Christian Foundation, the largest Christian grantmaker in the world. The team at NCF mobilizes resources and inspires biblical generosity, serving thousands of families, advisors, and ministries nationwide. Kendra is a veteran of the wireless telecommunications industry, having served as the executive vice president mobile at Infospace and as the Senior Vice President and General Manager of the Wireless Data Division of AT&T Wireless. She's currently an active board member and advisor to a variety of companies in the wireless internet arena. Kendra's impressive achievements have not gone unnoticed. She received the Distinguished Alumna Award in 1990 from the College of Engineering and is the recipient of the 1999 Catherine B. Cleary Award as the Outstanding Woman Leader of AT&T. She was also recently recognized by C3 Leaders with the Ralph Hallman High Ground Award. As you can tell, this is one amazing woman, but I think you'll discover as I have that her deep faith and humility are the things that undergird her success. It is a privilege to have this time with Kendra today and have the opportunity to hear her story and her heart. So welcome, Kendra. Hi. Thanks, Karen. It is so good to see you and see you looking so healthy and oh, thanks. happy. And mm. Thank so, you. Thank you. Good to see you and your awesome. beautiful smile. Yeah. Well, let's just start by tell us a little bit about you and who you are and your family. And Yeah. Who am I? I don't know. That's a really, isn't that a big question? <laughs> it actually <You> know? is. <laughs> yeah. I'm a daughter of the king. That's who uh, I am. I love that. And uh that's, I think, where my identity really starts. I'm also uh, married to Bill Snyder. Uh, yesterday was our 42nd anniversary. Oh, happy so anniversary. I was pretty excited about that. Hmm. Um, we got married, I think. I was 30, he was 35, and I've often wondered, will we make it to 50? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's getting closer, and so it feels more and more possible, right? Oh, yeah. Um, than it did way back then. Uh, and so anyway, he's, he and I have just been walking together for a long time Mm -hmm. and, uh, we have two children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rich is, uh, 36. He works for Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's a UX designer and, uh, would love to be married, but isn't. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we keep praying for that. Mm -hmm. And our daughter, just a year younger than him, Bass is, 35, and she is married to Gerald uh, Neveretti, and they've been married 10 years, Hmm. no, longer than that, going on 12 years. Goes by fast, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and they have two sons. Uh, Oliver will turn 10 the day after Christmas, and that's how I know it's been more than 10 10 years, (laughs) (laughs) and um, and Theo is seven, and Hmm. um, we uh in during the pandemic in 2020 uh after a year of family meetings and um just like deep consideration 
uh, decided to all buy a house together. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, we all sold the places that we had and bought a place in Woodenville out on Redmond Ridge. And we are here going on. Uh, see, it's been three years and yeah, um, still seem to get along and enjoy <laughs> being together, <laughs> so, which is, of course, um, a journey in of itself, but mm-hmm. a really good mm-hmm. one. And then I, like you said, I spent a lot of time in the telecommunications industry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. But then in the early 2000s, really knew that I had come to the end of that road and mm-hmm. started seeking the Lord for new direction for the second half of my life. So mm-hmm. in the whole halftime mm-hmm. terminology, I am living my half, my second half. Mm-hmm. and uh doing what the lord uh wired me to do that's and awesome that's so great exciting to be in that spot it, it really is 15, and you grew up 15 oh. real years really of of growing in my walk with him to get to this place where yeah. i can so yeah yeah and, and you grew up like back east and kind of all over the place you moved a lot mm-hmm. and um, yeah yeah tell us was, a little bit about that and how your career started because you, as a woman, what did you graduate in 69 from high school? I did. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then college. I mean, tell us just a little bit about that time period of your life, because it's uh-huh. significant as a woman and as this storied career that you've had. Yeah. It's, it's kind of shocking, actually. I graduated in 69. We, we grew up all over. So I was born in Florida. My Second brother was born in Michigan. My my other brother was born in California. So you can see moving, moving, moving. Um, yeah. Spent a bunch of years in California, then moved to the Washington, D.C. area when I was in seventh grade. Graduated from high school there in Northern Virginia. Went off to college at a liberal arts college in Ohio to get, and I got a degree in mathematics. And we you know it's just the five of us, my parents and, and three kids. We, all of our extended family was in Michigan and we didn't live near any of them. So while I would get to see them a few times every few years, I really didn't have like cousins and aunts and uncles that were in a regular part of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's just the five of us. And I started competitive swimming when I was seven and then my brothers followed. And so our family's whole life was around competitive swimming. I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. It was an, it was fun, uh, mm-hmm. and it was it was completely absorbing, right? And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad worked in the military-industrial complex, which is why we moved. Moved, yeah, 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 yeah. So when I was getting ready to graduate from high school, I had always been good at math and science, and when I was like looking at what I should do next, the you know the guidance counselors were basically telling me, look, you know, you could be a math teacher. You could you could be a science teacher. You could go to nursing school. Those are really the options that are open to you. And yep. I didn't think that was uh, surprising or unusual, but it just was what it was, right? And so yep. I went off to college and I was going to get a degree in math, which I did. And I was going to get a teaching certificate, which I did not. And um, <laughs> the story of why I did not is just really not all that significant. I had, I just didn't have passion for it. And I got to my senior year and I was kind of running out of money. 
and I didn't really need to take a full load. If I wasn't getting a teaching certificate, I could just Mm -hmm. slide out. And so I chose to do that. And then I went to the placement office and I applied for every single job that wanted a math major. Hmm. And um, I interviewed for like a sales position at Burroughs and Hmm. actuarial positions at insurance companies and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I got this really interesting offer from Bell Laboratories. Hmm. And Bell Laboratories at that time was the premier research and development organization in the world. And I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I just know that they made me a good offer. And I moved to New Jersey and started working for them Hmm. and um, started learning how to write software. So this is 1973. And um, Hmm. Bell Labs had really kind of done a lot of study and had come to the place that they realized that there weren't enough computer scientists in the world to write all the software that needed to get written to run the telecommunications network. Wow. And so they set out um, to change that. And they did two things. They contracted with graduate schools around the country to create computer science programs, which really didn't exist at the graduate level at that time. And uh, they would send students there on this thing called one year on campus where you had one year to get your master's degree. Hmm. And they would they would get electrical engineers coming out of college and send them off to get a degree. And then the second thing they did was they uh, hired mostly female math majors. In fact, maybe entirely female math majors. I'm not sure. Um, All the ones I knew were female. And and they taught us how to write software. And the model was a little bit like if you've seen Hidden Figures. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Some Ah. of the same people who were involved in the Apollo program were kind of involved in this whole thing. Oh, my gosh. um, And so they figured that they could teach all these women how to write software and they would work for the engineers who would then be designing all this stuff. So that's how life started for me. I learned how to write PL1 and, and then that's, later moved into the Unix world, learned how to write C and yeah. See, those are, that's a language I don't even. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. <laughs> this is all predating all the languages that exist today didn't exist then. Yeah, um, yeah. But I got then, the, on the ground floor of Unix, which in the grand scheme of computer science things was a really big deal. So that's incredible. And you got in on the ground level of, of gosh, a couple of things. At yeah, eight, lots of eight, things eight, yeah. Yeah. Lots of things. Tell us a little, a little bit more about that story. Cause that's fascinating. You're, yeah. Well, you're, it's just that, you know, the software development was just beginning mm-hmm. to be a serious field of inquiry and work. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was lots of opportunity and there were lots of smart people around. We were all kind of finding our way. And yeah, yeah. Um, and so there were I just really um had the chance to I, I remember the guy across the hall from me at the in my office had a PhD in computer science from MIT. And wow. I would go <laughs> to all these classes and come back. You know, they were teaching me how to write programs, but they weren't mm-hmm. teaching me computer science. And so I was like. I don't understand why. I don't understand the why behind all of this. Ah. So I would go into his office early in the morning. He loved to make his own coffee. He was the first person I ever knew who ground his own beans and all this ah. stuff. And I would <laughs> sit on the floor of his office literally and just ask him questions. Wow. And he was so sweet. And he oh. just taught me so much. And 
Hmm. Like I said, it was just a very um, fun, challenging wow. hmm. time to be alive, right? That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of slid into some things. Oh, gosh, there was so much during that time that I recall that that you... you we're yeah. at a company that then AT&T bought and then you were. Oh, right well, on. That's, that's later. So I was with okay. for 18 years and that. Okay. Okay. Run. And I, at, at one point, so yeah, at one point when, when AT&T was going through the first court ordered divestiture after this on antitrust suit, that this all took place in the mid eighties. Okay. And, um, and so they were, um, being forced and that's to split apart. And that's what formed all of the local telephone companies that we know today, you know, right. Right. Bell mm-hmm. South, Southwest Bell, all these, all these organizations were spun out and, uh, Bell Labs and the core, the long distance business and the manufacturing arm all stayed as part of AT&T. And during that window, um, basically AT&T said, look, we've got all this technology that's been created by Bell Laboratories that under the prior regime, we were never allowed to market because we were a regulated monopoly and we could only do what we were allowed to do. So now let's see if we can create businesses around this technology. Wow. And I just happened, you know how these things happen. I just happened to be leading a team of people at the time who were working in speech recognition and sound recognition technology Okay, and wow. building applications of that. And a bunch of us got together and created a little business plan for building what was the first um, touch tone input speech response system. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so we launched that, I think in 1982 or three, no, it was five, 85. But anyway, the point is we built this little business plan it was funded and they asked me to run the business. Wow. And so I left Bell Labs, went into the business side of AT&T to run, to start to run and build this little business. And um, I uh, that was my period of getting my MBA in school of hard knocks, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. hard. I got from <laughs> being just a technologist uh, mm-hmm. to leading marketing and sales and manufacturing and Wow. And all of this stuff, I had no idea about finance and so on. Um, but we had a, a person that was mentoring us, all of us who had these little venture companies inside of AT&T, had a, vent, had a mentor and he would take us off and like take us to Sloan and teach us about finance. And then he would hmm. take us to someplace else to teach us about marketing and so on. So hmm. I I had this really incredible opportunity to go learn and then do. And, um, and I was, it just really changed me and it made me really just want to build businesses. That's, that's what I, I would fell in love with building. That's businesses. so cool. That yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And where were you in terms of how, how many, like your children mm. and trying to balance being a mom and all that? Well, they were just being born. Okay. Okay. During the time that I was leading this team, uh, building this business, I had both my kids. Wow. Wow. um, That was unheard of, of course, as well. So here I am married to somebody who also works for Bell Laboratories in a very different part of the organization. That was like all kinds of chatter in the building. And then (laughs) we have our kids and that's like all kinds of chatter in the building. So I felt I was a little bit 
you know, what can I say? Um, out there in terms of uh, the culture at the time. Absolutely out there. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So tell us about your faith journey along the way. What has that? I mean, that's, that's a huge piece. So walk us us along there. Yeah. So I grew up in the Episcopal church and um, was, you know, our family went to Sunday school every day, every Sunday. I had perfect attendance medals, you know, down, you know, down my chest. And it was, it was a big part of my life, but I never really heard the gospel. And so when I went up to college, I basically kind of just threw it all away and said, I don't get it. I, you know, this isn't for me. And so I lived um, the kind of life you would expect of a college kid in the late sixties and early seventies. It you know, I was in a sorority, we partied, although I had, I was in the sorority that got all the good grades, but, you know, we were <laughs> serious students and serious partiers. And um, that was my college experience. And then got out of college, married my college sweetheart. That did not go well, um, that it lasted three years and and it was really over. And then when Bill and I married five years later, I think it was, um, we neither one of us, he came from a similar background from mm-hmm. a church going family, but not having ever really um, accepted the faith on, on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then our kids came five years after that. And I found myself in this place of saying, I don't know how to raise these kids. I was raised in a, in a Christian context, but mm-hmm. I didn't have my own Christian context to raise these kids in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I wanted one. Mm. Uh, but mm. I really felt compelled to go back to church and figure it out. Huh. So I did. And we landed in a evangelical free church. And for the first time in my life, I actually heard the gospel. Right. Huh. Wow. And I yeah. heard the word preached, like not just like three verses on a Sunday, but like, like preached. Yeah. yeah. And so it was very compelling to me. And, and I came to Christ, uh, at that time. And I think my daughter was just born mm. and, uh, mm. and then, you know, we also had at that time, a, a full-time nanny who was helping with our kids. She was a believer. And, oh. and I think she had a lot to do with praying us into the kingdom. Huh. Um, but yeah, that was the turning point for me. And and then after that, it was very much in the early going, a slog for me to try to sort out what does it mean to live out my faith in this workplace? Yeah. that At that time, you know, now I'm talking about mid 80s, mm-hmm. the, um, the church still was stumbling its way towards the role of women in society. Yes. And um, is there a role for Christian women in addition to their really, really important role as a mother? And so what yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. are there other things that are possible and how do you live that out? And, and, but I hear, I was like already had this serious career going and it wasn't like I, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't not in a place where I was going to, easily just say, sorry, I, I can't have this career anymore because I belong yeah. to Jesus. So I had to struggle with it and I struggled mm-hmm. with it hard for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's well, the beginning of my faith journey. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, then we fast forward to what was it 1998? You had breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's when the Lord, after I was struggling so hard with it with, with things, and we had moved out here from the Midwest. We had moved out here to Seattle for me to work in the wireless business and. That's when this whole story that you started to tell earlier happened, where I had left AT&T, I came to Macaw Cellular, okay, and then Macaw gets bought by AT&T. And here okay, okay, so gotcha. I'm like, ah, can't get away from AT&T. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, the, the I was I was diagnosed in when I was I think I was it must have been 1990 I'm 1996. Mm. I don't know. Try to remember. Because I've been trying to put all all of the dates together for my daughter, who would like to know, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, it and I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was a, you know, not a. It was advanced enough. It wasn't super advanced, but it was advanced enough that it meant chemo and radiation, and as well mm-hmm. as surgery. Yeah, and so um, it was a year long journey to get mm-hmm. through that, and then yep. of course multiple years after that of ongoing. Uh, treatment and checkups. So mm-hmm. um, that was the moment where the I just I was like, okay, Lord, if this thing, this faith, this thing between you and me is real, like I need you to show up. You know, mm-hmm. I need I need to get hear from you and know yeah. you know, am I going to be okay? Are my kids going to be okay? My kids were in elementary school, right? Yeah, I yeah. was not feeling like it was time for me to go. <laughs> and, uh, right. and so it, that was the moment where I very, for the very first time after wrestling with that for a while, heard him, heard him speak to me and, and received his peace. And mm-hmm. he did not promise me that it all would be well, but he promised mm-hmm. me that my family would be okay. Mm-hmm. Would, wow. be, would be loved and cared for. Right. And so that brings you I, a lot of peace. Yeah, it was a lot of peace. And that began a search on my part for more um, spiritual depth in my relationship with the Lord, not just intellectual ascent, yes. but real spiritual depth in my relationship yeah. with him. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> wow. So it was sometime after that, I don't remember the the details in there, but that you were invited to become part of the National Christian Foundation Northwest yeah. and, and this whole piece. So tell us about, because yeah. now you're CEO of the I National am, Christian, I am, the but whole that thing. wasn't where it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so this has it, been quite a journey. Tell us, it has. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, so in 2004, um, I left the telecom industry knowing that I was done. and. No, and I had I had actually left AT and T in two thousand and one. Spent a year or two just kind of consulting and trying to pursue the Lord. Went back to work at a, at this job and info space. Very quickly, kind of came to understand that I I wasn't anything so much with info space, but I was done. I was just really done mm. with mm. that world. And yeah. um and so I when I left info space, I I made a commitment to the Lord. I said, Lord. I don't know if you got plans for me in the second half. Um, I was like 52, I think. And 
I, or, but I hope you do because, hmm. you know, I I think there's more gas in this tank. Yeah. <laughs> but I've learned that I'm not really good at choosing the, the direction that I should go in. You need to choose this direction and I'm willing to wait until you do. And so uh, that was the pact I made with him that I would not take on any big responsibilities unless he invited me to do it. And two years later, he invited me to take on the responsibility of building a new Christian foundation in Seattle. It was a time called Seattle Christian Foundation. It was um, affiliated with the National Christian Foundation, and uh, it was just in its infancy and they needed somebody to try to lead it. And I knew nothing. I knew nothing except it was intriguing. Mm-hmm. It was intriguing to try to, because Bill and I had been on our own giving journey mm-hmm. and, and how he had spent time at generous giving, being bathed in the Holy Spirit about the about biblical generosity. And so I was intrigued by the opportunity to help other people mm-hmm. on their journey of generosity mm-hmm. and figure out how, to best um, deploy the resources that God's entrusted to them. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get better at it myself and I wanted to help, help other people get better at it. So that's what was the whole thing. And the Lord told me one day that this is that, you know, he was, he invited me. He didn't, I wouldn't say he commanded me. He invited mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. to take that on. And I did that 2007. Mm-hmm. And that was a horrible time to start a foundation. Hmm. So 2008 hit. Yeah. 2009 was horrible. Hmm. It was just really rocky at first. And it was very hard. And I had, I had no idea how to raise money for this thing. And it was very, very difficult. But the Lord just kept taking me back to this, to um, John 15, 16, where he says, you did not call me. I called you to go bear fruit. I'm hmm. like, okay. <laughs> All right, I get it. And so I, you know, I just really soaked in all the pruning <laughs> that had yeah, to go on. Yeah. Yeah. During that time. And there was a lot of it because I kept thinking as a corporate executive, right? I know what to do. I have a project plan. I can just I can just do this and then do this and do this. <laughs> and the Lord was just like giggling, like you're giggling right now. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, you know, you don't understand, sister, this is not about you, (laughs) (laughs) about me. Hmm. And um, it's about you learning to um, do the work I put in front of you to do and trust me for everything else. Hmm. And when I learned to do that, uh, it got a lot easier. And Hmm. so 14 years later, I was still doing that. And we had built the team out to five or six people. And we brought in, we were bringing in significant resources for the kingdom and taking and sending them out. I think we crossed the $300 million level for dollars granted since inception. Wow. And I was like asking the Lord in, in January, really, okay, I'm happy to keep going, but is there something else, right? Is there some, what, what's the next, what's the next hill you want me to take? Yep. And I was at the time also serving on the national board of National Christian Foundation. So I had been close to the last two or three CEOs and um, our current then current CEO and I were talking a lot about the future direction of the national endeavor. And I remember us praying 
for yeah, you and we for you and with you during that time. Yeah. yeah. It was a rough time. And he, yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of clear that he was really unsure about what he wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but on the other hand, he had done some fantastic leadership work to really clarify strategy mm-hmm. for the next 20 years of mm-hmm. NCF. And it was really, really good work. And I was a part of it and I really appreciated it. And I was excited about it and I wanted to see it fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And and yet he's looking kind of rocky, you know, kind of shaky. And I'm like very concerned. And long story short, he quits. And um, I'm asking the Lord, okay, now what, Lord? You know, do we have to go on another year-long search for another CEO and then spend <laughs> another year trying to get that person on board? And the Lord just said to me, well, you're prepared. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm 70 years old. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure that's what you, you want me to go do? And, you know, honestly, I had toyed with the idea previously, but the idea of moving to Atlanta was just, for me, just felt out of the question. I, I just... Here I was, I had this fantastic little family with my grandkids here and everything. And yeah, just, you know, and so I, and now post pandemic, I'm like, well, maybe I could just do it from here. Yeah. And, and we built this whole strategy, you know, everybody on zoom. Yeah. And, um, so I talked to the board chair and I told them that if they wanted me and if they were willing to let me do it by coastal, mm-hmm. um, that I was willing to serve. And mm-hmm. so that was two years ago, um, not quite two years ago. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, here we are. Yeah. It was, it was a big, big uh, commitment and step and a lot of prayer into that. And... Yeah, it was. And I, but, um, it's very clear that through all of that, mm-hmm. learning to be willing to lead a business, you know, learning yeah. to walk with the Lord yeah. uh, and hear his voice. Um, learning to lead people, all of that now is like he's using it all, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That such clear preparation. Yeah, they are so lucky to have you, and and how wonderful that you heard that still small voice say, "Well, you're prepared." Yeah, yeah. I've prepared you. (laughs) I prepared you. I'm like, what? (laughs) I remember. I do remember the surprise. Yeah, it was a surprise to me. I do remember that. Like it wasn't something I was seeking. That's for you sure. were not seeking it, and you were not thinking about you. You were thinking, oh, another search, another. Yeah, I was. I yeah, was like, I know. I remember. I and and there it was. God said, "Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's you." I love that. I and love it's really that. it's been interesting because a lot of people right at first, a lot of the people that are part of this organization across the country at first were like, "I don't know." You know, 70-year-old <laughs> grandma, is that what we really need? <laughs> so, yeah. And you're like, hey, the best is yet to come. Well, it's like. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Here That's we go. Right. We're going to find That's out right. what the Lord has turned, you know, has made me into. So this yeah, is yeah. worse. You're stuck with me now. Right. Oh, I love it. And I love your passion for this, this concept of living generously. So yeah. tell me, how do you define that? Define that for us, living generously. So I think for me, there were two, there are two big pieces. 
one was with discovering the obvious truth that everything I have and everything I am belongs mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. That seems so obvious. Mm-hmm. And yet at the time it wasn't obvious. Mm. You know, I had been taught to tithe. Yeah. Which kind of implicitly teaches you that, you know, you give 10% and the other 90% is yours. Yeah. Um, and I had worked hard and my husband, about two of us, they worked very hard for all of the resources that were entrusted to us. And I, um, I felt that the the weight and the responsibility of that, hmm. but it never occurred to me until probably 2005 that I was carrying the weight that belonged to him. Hmm. It wasn't mine to carry. It was his. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. all was his, not just part of it. Yeah. So that was, I you know, aha number one. Hmm. Aha number two was that in light of that, Everything I have and everything we have that we've been entrusted to, whether it is um, time, treasure, or talent, mm-hmm. is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. And God is the one who protects it. Mm-hmm. He's the provider and he's the protector. Mm-hmm. And I think I felt responsible for the protection part. I know I did. I was like, you know, I have to make sure that this is enough and I have to make sure that mm. we, you know, that we take proper care of everything mm. that that he has given us. But he said, no, 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 no. That's me. Mm. Right. And when I was able to finally let go, which probably didn't happen until around 2008 and say, OK, not as not only do I believe it's all yours, but I don't have to carry it at all. I don't have to protected. I don't have, I just have to like open my hands and be, make it available for you uh-huh. to do whatever you want to do with yeah. it. All right. Yep. And ever since then, I feel this freedom mm. that is what I ascribe to the generous life. Um, yes, we give and we, we give um, very differently than the tithe, you know, Mm-hmm. To us, the tithe is like baby steps. But so we give very differently than that. We give very purposefully. Um, but it's not just about giving. Yeah. It's about not owning. Yes. And it's about yeah. freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's about the joy of um, doing the things that that he calls me to do mm-hmm. and and feeling free to do that. Um, that is just incredible. Um, and it's a different way of living than most people I encounter mm-hmm. actually yeah. live. And the, the more they've been entrusted with, the more weight they feel. And, yeah. Yeah. and I can identify I am not. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not unfamiliar with that. With, with that. that. Yeah. yeah. Which is why oh. I love what we get to do. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. I, I want. I don't want to um, finish without making sure people know that it. Um, there is a very uh, wonderful app that has been developed for NCF, and it's very easy to open an account, and you don't have to have. I think people feel like to have um, one of these accounts, they have to have a ton of money. So yeah. speak to that just a little bit. Yeah, I will be happy to. So 
<clears throat> yeah, we serve a lot of families. I think there are something like 20,000 funds at NCF across the country. Um, and people who we serve vary in terms of wealth uh, from, you know, upper middle class, if you will, to very, you know, ultra rich. <laughs> um, I will say that if you're at the stage of life where you are giving, um, writing a check to your church every month or every week, and it's pretty simple, or maybe you have one other charity that you like to support, or you have a missionary that you like to support. It's all pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You don't need us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it gets more complicated mm-hmm. and you're starting to try to plan things like how to make sure when you receive a bonus that you set aside resources that you can then subsequently give, or when you have um, gains in the stock market and you want to wisely steward those gains, or you own a business, that's a pri- that's a big part of what we do. You own a business and the business is all of a sudden growing and growing and growing and you have responsibility for it and you want to be generous and you want to ascribe a c- clarity about God's ownership to mm-hmm. all of those resources. Mm-hmm. Now it gets complicated. It's actually hard yeah. to navigate all those waters. And we are really good at it. We are really good at helping people be wise mm-hmm. about how they plan their stewardship and then be to have the fun of, of like sorting out what their passions are mm-hmm. and how they're going to deploy those resources against their passions. Um, so that's that's who we serve, basically. Mm-hmm. Anybody who wants to be a serious student, steward and his life is a little bit more complicated than one check a month to their church, you know? Okay, well, that's great. That that explains it well, yeah. Well, what in this season, you've been doing this for almost two years and you've basically, I, I call that generous living too, that at age 70, you're saying, I'm willing to serve. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm done. I'm not done, yeah. Checking out. And that's, that's a generous life too, to do continue to just seek God and serve where he calls you. But what is he teaching you personally in this season as you have done this? Yeah. So, um, so the first couple of years have really been a, a real rush, if you will, for me to, because I had spent 14 years watching this national organization have both really big wins and beautiful stories and in, that internally have big struggles. Hmm. And um, those big struggles were things that have always been things in my mind that could be solved with some good leadership and with hmm. proper technology and a number hmm. of things that needed to be done. Um, but so so the, but the first thing we've done is just really get our arms around where we are We've invested heavily in new technology. We're investing heavily in uh, sorting out our value proposition and who we are and mm-hmm. and where we're going. And the improvements have been, you know, it's the low-hanging fruit. The improvements mm-hmm. have been happening and they've been exciting and mm-hmm. we've been mm-hmm. making tons and tons of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, now, though, we're kind of, I, I see us kind of turning the corner mm-hmm. a little bit and now things are going to get harder. Okay. Right, because now all the low hanging fruit's been <laughs> kind of <laughs> and um, and so um, 
I, I believe strongly that National Christian Foundation was created for this moment. Hmm. Um, we are, as you mentioned at the beginning, have been blessed to become the largest Christian grant maker in the world. We are, we are giving away a billion dollars every five months. Wow. It's just it's so stunning. And it's like, it's 42 years of hard work and God honoring service. Yeah. And um, he's brought us to this place and now he's helping us build up the infrastructure. So we're ready to take the next hill. And the, and it's just at the moment when we're beginning this thing called the great wealth transfer, mm. where trillions of dollars are going to transfer from my generation to uh, the next generation. Uh-huh. And that is going to result in two things, um, multiple trillions of dollars that will land in charitable accounts that need to be stewarded well, mm-hmm. as well as a whole crop of new wealthy Christian people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who need us. Yes. And yes. Um, and so I feel like he's really brought us to this moment and that we must, we, we cannot, we have no option to fail at this moment. You know, we must be ready mm-hmm. and we must um, serve to the best of our ability in this yeah. transition. Yeah. Now, some of the decisions that need to get made about preparing for that are not easy, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this is God's ministry, of course, and it's not ours. And so what I've been looking for, the thing that's at the top of my spiritual list right now is <laughs> the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. I want the mind of Christ. Oh, wow. And it. You know, in First Corinthians 2, he promises us that we have the mind of Christ. Yes. Yeah. And so, all right. I, I am really looking to understand, not just intellectually, but, you know, deeply, what it means to operate every day out of the mind of Christ and, and not be distracted by the world. Because there are so many things to be afraid of. Oh, that's you know, the so economy true. is a mess. Yeah. The world political situation is a mess. Yeah. The American political situation is a mess. Yeah. There's so many things to be afraid of. And so many ways that I could I could convince myself that we need to cower in the corner mm. and not take any chances, right? Um, but that's not God called that's not what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to a life of fear, yeah. but a life of trusting him. And so um, that's where I'm at. I'm, I am really, um, every day with everything that kind of comes across my desk, asking him, mm. you know, for his mind, his, yes. Thought, yes. his, his perspective yes. on this situation, this, this thing we have to decide, mm-hmm. um, this chance we're going to take this investment we're going to make, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's beautiful. That's a, right now for me. Boy, that's great. And what an encouragement to all of us to think about that also. Is there anything else as you think about, you're talking about this huge transfer of wealth that will come down to some next generations here. Any last words you want to, of encouragement or challenge or? Um, or? Yeah, I, you know, the next generation is a really interesting question. Um, there are those, you know, again, if you want to get worried about something, 
there are those, <laughs> oh, you know, the, the next generation, they're abandoning the church and they don't, you know, they're, they're not going to be followers of Christ in the same way. But that's probably true. The in the same way part is probably true, right? Yeah. Um, just like I think my generation, my generation caused all this trouble in the first place. And, and, <laughs> and we did in the 60s and 70s, like, oh, yeah, now, you know, um, we get to redefine everything. Nothing is true, right? We started down that path. And yet a lot of people in our generation have come back to their roots and come back to the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think there will always be a remnant. I don't think that I know there will always be a remnant because that's what God's promised us. Yeah. And so I believe that we need to be ready to serve um, that group. And I I think that that means we need to um, understand them better and mm-hmm. be in a place to really listen and meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're working really hard on that. Um, but I really think at the end of the day, it's really just a question of being as wise as as you can muster with the help of the Lord mm-hmm. and his wisdom and discernment and and then trusting him that he's going to he he know he has a plan and yeah. we just yeah. have to be along for the ride. Yeah, um, I he's get he gave me a verse when I first started here and um, as you might recall, I was going through some serious back problems at the time and I do ended up with back surgery and all of that. But so this verse that a friend pointed out to me and that really locked in for me is that I've been it's right here on my phone, <laughs> the top of my, my, my page um, is really, really deeply meaningful. This is Isaiah 58, 11. And it, he Lord says, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you should be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Wow, that's beautiful. And that I think is not just a promise to me. I think that's a promise to all of his people. We exist to be the spring of water that doesn't fail. And I just want to let him pour through me, whatever he has. That's it. Wow. What a beautiful place to end on and beautiful scripture. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your heart with us today. Thank you, Kendra. Thanks, Karen. So good to see you. You too. God bless. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Take Root Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. To learn more about Centered and hear more stories of discovery and growth in Jesus, visit us at centered.org.